I'd like to welcome everyone out to the services this morning. First of all, I'd like to say thank you to Ryan for the prayer on my behalf. It's my prayer also this morning that the things that I have studied, that uh, they will be a, of a benefit to you. I know they were, it was a study that I needed in my life, and uh, like we always say, any of us that get up here, if it's pertinent to me, hopefully uh, it's something you can use too. And it's, it's something that I think we all can say we've struggled with at some point in time. I know that I have. I appreciate Mark leading that song. It's very uh, pertinent to our lesson this morning. I want to talk about anger. I know David talked about uh, living in a wrathful world here recently, and then uh, Brian talked about uh, having good attitudes and all that, and I don't think I'm going to step on any of their lessons, or I don't think they stepped on mine. But the fact is, anger, first of all, I want to say, is a God-given emotion. We all have it. We all experience. So I don't want you to think that if we've ever felt anger in our life, that anger is evil in and of itself. It's what we do with anger is what causes the problem. You know, it was given to us as I think many times we can use anger in a positive way, and I say that, I think that gives mothers or fathers or, or people a sense of protection to their children. If they sense danger, they become somewhat angry, somewhat excited that, that uh, something's going to happen, and I think that would, if you say, be a positive reaction of anger or some of the reasons that God gave us that emotion. So I don't want to say that all anger is bad this morning, and we'll address that in our, in our lesson a little later. But I want to start this morning in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verses 1 through 15. We're not going to read that, but it's a story that we all know, of, know very well. And it's a story about a man by the name of Naaman, and we, know, we refer to him as Naaman the leper. But you know, Naaman was a mighty man. He was the host of the captain of his, captains of the armies of Assyria. There was nobody any higher than this guy on the battlefield or even in politics than the king, pretty much. He was the king's right-hand man. This guy, when he set out to conquer a city, he went and he conquered it. He fought the Jews and he took home some slaves with him, and that'll be important a little later in the story. But he, he was a mighty man. He was a, a man in battle. He was a man that if you wanted something done, you went to, and that was the guy that did it. And he rose through the ranks. But this man had a problem. And we all know what that problem was. He was a leper. And you know what? It didn't matter how powerful he was on the battlefield, how rich he was in his pocketbook, he had a problem. He had a disease that was eating him from the inside out. And eventually, if left untreated, he would die. And there was nothing he could do about it. But as they were talking about this one day, I'm, I'm assuming as, as the story goes and as you look at it and, and you, you plug parts into these stories, his uh, slave from Israel, a little maid, the Bible calls her, she makes a statement, said, oh, if we were in Israel, the prophet of God would be able to heal our master and get rid of this leprosy and he could be made whole. Well, you can imagine anybody with a disease like this, his ears stood up and he said, what's going on? Well, she begins to tell him, if we were in Israel and you went to this prophet, there is a prophet in Israel and the Lord God of Israel can heal you. Well, we know how the story goes if you read in that, and, and I would encourage you to read it because it's a very good story. He goes to the king and the king says, man, whatever it takes. He says, you need money, you need clothes, you need a letter. He said, I'm going to write a letter to the king of Israel. And he said, you go over there and you find this prophet and you get healed, Naaman. You're a good man. I can't afford to lose you. 
And as the story goes, he goes over to Israel. And he goes, and at first the king is really worried about Naaman being here because this is a mighty man of valor. He's afraid that, you know, maybe he's spying him out for a, a, a future attack. But he goes to the man, the prophet of Israel. And he stands there, and you can imagine with all the pomp and circumstance that would go with a man of his stature, he walks to the door, and, and he sends a messenger, and they knock on the door. And the prophet sends out his servant, and he goes over to him, and he says, Naaman, I want you to go down to the river Jordan, and I want you to dip seven times, and your flesh will come to you. And the guy turns around and walks off. Well, we know how the story goes. What happened? Naaman said, man, this is crazy. He got mad. The Bible said he was wroth. He was angry. And he said, are not the rivers where I came from in Syria far, far in Abana, are they not cleaner than the old muddy Jordan River? He said, why would I go down to this nasty river and dip seven times? He said, it's cleaner at home. I should have stayed at home. And he goes off in a rage. And what happens? He came a leper, and he left a leper, didn't he? He was angry. And he was mad. He said, surely I thought the guy would come out and he'd strike his hand over the place and there would be this great uh, miracle that happened. But he said, this guy just come out and said, go dip in the river. But he still had his leprosy, didn't he? And he had his anger. And finally, one of his servants said, he said, Naaman, master, he said, if he would have commanded you to do some great thing and, and charged you a great price and asked for all these wonderful things, he said, would you not have done it? And he said, if you were willing to do that, why not just go down to the river and dip seven times? And a light came on in Naaman's head. His anger abated, and he thought a minute. And he went down to the river Jordan, and he dipped seven times. And what happens? The Bible says the flesh came back to him as a little child. He was healed. But you know what? As long as he kept on to his anger and his thanksos and his uh, wrath, nothing happened, did it? And you know, that's the problem with anger. It clouds our minds. It clouds our judgment. And many times in a Christian's life, it keeps them separated from God and what they need to do in their life to be right. Numbers chapter 20 and verses 8 through 12, we read of another story about a man by the name of Moses, a man we're all very familiar with. He was the leader of, of, of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And I want to go back. Remember what the children of Israel saw when they come out of Egypt. They came to the mighty banks of the Red Sea. And it, it, Egypt was behind them, and they were chasing them, and they wanted to kill them. And Moses stretched out his hand, and he parted the water, and they went through. And then Pharaoh tried the same thing, and he killed them. And he led them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. And he fed them with manna, and he fed them with quail. And they saw all of these wonderful miracles. Well, now they didn't take the land of Canaan when they were told to. They were told to wander in the wilderness. And as they're wandering out there, imagine this. They're in the middle. It's hot. It's dry. There's not a lot of food. They're thirsty. And guess what happens? They do just like you and I was, would do. Moses, why did you lead us out here? We're all going to die. There's no food. There's no water. People are dying. If it it would have been better if we would have died. We should have stayed where we were at. Why are we here? Why is God doing this? Why is he going to... On and on. You can imagine how angry that made Moses. So God tells Moses, he said, I know it's dry, but he says, you go over here and you speak to this rock. And he says, you let the children of Israel see the power of God and you let them drink and you let their animals drink. And he said, you speak to that rock. 
Now Moses was angry. Moses had just lost his sister. So you can imagine the state of mind that Moses was in. And God told him to do this. And Moses walks up there and he says, Here, you rebels, must we fetch you water? And he pulls out his, his staff and he hits the rock two times. And water comes out. But what happened? He didn't do what God told him to, did he? God told him to speak to the rock. And he smote it. And as soon as he did it, God told him, he said, Because you didn't believe me, because of your anger, he said, you will not enter into the land of promise. And we know how that story goes. As the children of Israel finish their 40 years in the wilderness and they come to the edge of the promised land, God takes Moses up on top of the mountain. And he said, see, here is all this wonderful beauty of the land of Canaan, but you're not going to go in. You can see it, but because of your anger and your transgression, you're not going in. His anger cost him a life in Canaan. And he died there on the mountain, never setting foot inside the promised land that God had promised to his people. All because of his anger. His anger got the better of him. You know, as David said, we live in times where anger seems to be left unchecked, uncontrolled in our society. You know, something that really bothers me and you see it on social media a lot, and it's, you know, I'm not going to go into great detail, but it's a sign, one of the most harsh signs, a lot of times you see it when you make a bad drive on the highway, the universal sign language is what they call it. That has become so common on social media. You can be looking and see somebody's picture, and they're doing this sign, and it's the most vulgar and hateful sign there is, and it, people are okay with this. They are, they are happy almost with their anger and with their signs of... of of anger towards other people. We live in a society where we don't forgive anything that anybody has ever done. You run for public office, you better be careful because they're going to bring up everything you ever done. Anger is, is like a, a pattern or a badge almost in our society. We feel like if we're angry, angry, we have the right to destroy things or to destroy others. And that's not how God intended for a Christian to live their life. That's not how he intended mankind to live their life. Anger has its place. But we can't give in to that anger. I'd like to discuss four, I guess you'd say, different types of anger this morning. The first and the most scariest, I think, that we can have is anger towards God as a human or as his child. And, you know, I went to a funeral one time, and it... It, it bugs me to this day. A man stood in the pulpit here with, with the, the person uh, in the casket in front of him and the family sitting there. And as he went through the, the eulogy and the, the, the comforting words that he gave the family, he looked the family right square in the eyes. And he said, I want you to know that it's okay for you to be angry with God because he's got broad shoulders and he can bear it. And my heart sunk. It sunk in my chest and it stuck with me. He told that family that it was okay to be mad or angry with God. It's, ne it's never okay to be angry with God. And you know, we ask the question many times, well, why did God take this loved one from me? Why did God cause this to happen? Why do I have this illness? Why did these things happen to me? Why, God, why? That's not the questions we should be asking. Because if you'll look in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, turn over there with me. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. 
Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Right there, we ask the question, why did our loved one have to die? Why did our loved one get sick, God? Why, why? Well, first of all, you're asking God a question that he did not, or, or accusing God, excuse me, of something he did not do. God did not kill your loved one. See, that happened way back in the Garden of Eden when man decided they were smarter than God and they listened to Satan and they ate of the fruit because God told them. What did he tell them? He said, if you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. That's what he said. It's not like God didn't warn them. He didn't hide the tree out there and say, let's see what happens. He told them. He told us what will happen. That's the reason people die. You want to ask the question of why my loved one died? It, you don't ask God because God didn't do it. Man brought that on himself. Man brought death into this world. Man brought sin and suffering into this world. Mankind was designed to live forever. You know that? When man was set in the Garden of Eden, he was given a body that would last forever. Why? Because he put the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. That doesn't sound like a God that's going around killing people and taking them to heaven, does it? Man, because of sin and his unbelief in God, brought sin and death into the world. Many times we ask the question, well, you know, why can't I just be as successful as oh so-and-so? Why doesn't God bless me like oh so-and-so? God just, God just doesn't care if I have money or not. God doesn't care if I... You know, you can add whatever you want to into that. But you know, the fact is, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45 addresses that for us. Matthew 5 and verse 45. It says that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus, in his own words there, he said, God set the world in motion. He said, when it comes up, let's, let's take farmers, for example. There's a lot of, a lot of farmers here in this uh, community or in this church. He says, it rains on the just and unjust. God set the weather patterns in, in motion. God set the laws of nature in motion. Just because Lyle gets rain and, and David doesn't, that doesn't mean Lyle's any better or, or David's any worse. God set things in motion. And you know, God sets, gives us certain talents in life, doesn't he? Not all of us are businessmen. Not all of us, as we know in the church, not everyone's a singer, not everyone's a preacher, not everyone... But everybody has different talents. And you know, that's what we need to think about in our lives. When we think about how God blesses us, don't think about it in the terms of how I think I should be blessed. Because if we all think about how we should be blessed, we ought to have a couple of million sitting in there and everything in our account and every car that we want and everything that we could possibly have. Is that good for us? We think it is. But how many times do we see the things that money brings, the heartache and the sadness that wealth and riches bring, but we think we want it, don't we? Sorry, my notes shut off on me. But you know, we need to think about that from the standpoint. Or when we, when we want to accuse God of saying, well, you don't care about if I'm wealthy or not. First of all, what God cares about is your soul. 
Second of all, what God cares about is how you treat your fellow man. Thirdly of all, what God cares about is how much you love him and what you're willing to do and how you're willing to serve others. And everything else, he told us he'd give us what we needed. But just because we're not wealthy, that's not God's fault. More than likely, it's our fault. Most of the things that we suffer in life are because of our bad decisions, not God's. But I, when, we, when we get to this point, and, and, and I think, I know we've all probably been guilty of it when we go through hard times, you know, getting on a pity party, feeling sa- sorry for ourselves. I want to relay a story to you, and, and I'm, I'm not big on, on doing, doing that uh, from the pulpit about India, but I've seen brothers and sisters in India set in a congregation just like this. And I've seen people come crawling in the back door with shoes on their hands because they can't stand up and walk. And they drag themselves into the congregation. And when the congregation, when, when the plate passes by, and we're all given our 20s and our 50s and our 100s in this congregation, and it's a very wonderful blessing that this, what this congregation does, but when the plate gets to them, they set a little bag of rice in the plate because they don't have a dime to their name. And you know what? Those people walk out those doors and they are happy And they'll say they're blessed. And you know why? Because they were without God, and now they've got him. And that's what we ought to think about. When we want to feel pity for ourselves about, oh, God didn't bless me with a new car. He didn't bless me with a new house. You're not walking in with shoes on your hands, and you're going home to central heat and air most of the time. And you're not worrying about somebody burning down your house because you're a Christian. And you have money to put in the plate on Sunday morning. Don't tell God that you're not blessed. Don't fall into that lie that we're not blessed because those people think they're blessed, so you should too. You know, Job had a little problem with that itself. You can read in all through Job, and I would, you know, we talk, we read Job a lot when we're kind of feeling sorry for ourselves, or I do anyway. You know, when I'm feeling like poor pitiful Callan, you know, this is going on, this is happening. Maybe I just ought to go read Job to make things feel better. Job lost it all. He lost his kids, he lost his job, he lost his wealth, he lost his health. He lost everything down to the point his wife looked at him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? You're so miserable. You've lost it all. And Job kind of got down there through that chapter, and he, he makes this statement, why do the wealthy prosper? They are, they're bad people. I say wealthy. Why do the evil prosper? Excuse me, let me state that right. They're evil, but yet they're prospering, God. Why are you letting this happen? Here I am, I'm this good man, and all these things have happened to me. Well, turn over to Job chapter 40, and I think it's a very good response that when we get to feeling sorry for ourselves and, and want to be angry with God, it's, it's a very good read. Turn over to Job 40 and verse 1. Starting in verse 1 there, it says, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He said, You going to contend with God? Are you going to instruct me? You want to whine about what's going on in your life? You're going to contend with me? You're going to instruct me? Shall he that commendeth, or, or conde- uh, excuse me, he that reproveth God, let him answer. He said, if you're going to reprove and accuse God, answer these questions. 
You want to blame God for what's going on on in your life? He said, you answer these questions. Then Job answered and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer answer yea twice, but I will proceed no further. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. He said, I'm going to demand. If you're going to contend with me, I'm going to demand you answer these questions. It's no different for you and I today. If we're going to contend with God and we're going to blame him for things that are going on in our lives, he said, you better answer some questions. He said, wilt thou disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me? that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God? Or canst thou thunder with the voice of him? Deck thyself now with the majesty and excellency and array thyself with glory and beauty. He said, you want to contend with me? He said, do you have the power of God? Can you create? Can you create the sun? Can you speak it into existence? Can you give life to a lump of clay? Can you give that clay a soul? And he goes on and on and he walks it right down to it. So before we want to contend with God and start blaming him for the things that are going on in our life, maybe we better answer the questions ourselves. Can we do what God's done? Can we give what God's given? You know, we can't see what's going to happen past the end of this service. Now, we think we know what's going to happen. We think we're all going to get up and walk out those doors and we're going to go home. But God knows what's going to happen. We think we know what's going to happen, but God knows. And it's the same way in troubles with our life. God can see the end, and we can't. And many times we, we fall apart, and we say, man, this can't happen. What are we going to do? We're never going to survive this. God can see the end, and if you'll just put your trust in him, he'll carry you through. Look at how old you are now. You're still here. You're still kicking. You're still getting through. You're still paying the bills. It's because he's carried you through this far. And he's going to carry you through right till the very end, till you cross the chilly waters of death and you stand at his throne. He's going to be there. John chapter 8 and verse 44, and this is the funny thing to me. He says, Satan is, he says, he's, he says you are your father, the devil, and Satan, and he is the father of lies. Is that not the greatest lie that, this, that we've been talking about today, that it's all God's fault and Satan has always defe- deflected the blame off him when really the whole time all the bad things that happen in our lives can be laid at the feet of Satan, but mankind wants to lay them at the feet of God? That's what we do when we are angry with God. We fall into that lie and we lay the problem at God's feet instead of Satan's feet. And that's where it all stems from. Our own lusts that come from the temptations of Satan. It's not God's fault. So when we are angry and things don't go right, don't blame it on God. Let's lay it where it's supposed to be, on Satan and upon ourselves. Second thing I'd like to look at is anger with others. And this is probably where most of us seem to have the most problems. And I'm going to tell on myself before my wife does if she talks to any of you. I guess I was having a bad day, I guess, last weekend, about a week ago. And we're in town, and we're driving down the road, and she pulls out. She's driving. She pulls out into the middle lane, and she's trying to get over into traffic. And this young, I say young, he's probably 25, mid-20s, pulls up beside her and won't let her out. Just keeps her in that lane as we're going down there. Well, obviously, my day was going bad, and I'm not normally like this. 
But I saw red. Because as he drove by, he was doing that universal sign language at my wife. And he was saying things through the window. And my first response to my wife was, as if I told her, I said, if you'll pull up there beside him, we'll force him off the road and I'll give him a beating like he ain't never seen. And, and we say that, but the fact is, that's shameful. Because as a, as a member of this congregation, if I would have found him and gave him the beating I thought he deserved at that point in time, what would that have done for this church? What would that have said for this church? That would have been a black eye on this church. Because people would have known as they were carting me off to jail, hey, that guy goes to church over at 11th and Amarillo Street. Or, excuse me. <laughs> Old habits die hard, people. <laughs> Northwest Church of Christ. They would have known. That would have been a black eye on this church. Would have been a black eye on my spiritual record. Because I didn't control my anger. I didn't control my anger right then because my wife saw that. I should have never got that got to that point, but I did. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, in verse 22, says an angry man stirs up strife. Is that not right? You know, if we go around and we're angry all the time, do people want to see us coming? They're going, man, when that guy gets here, he's going to cause a mess because he's just unhappy and he's angry all the time. Nobody wants to be around an angry person, do they? Nobody likes that. And really, what good does it do to go give somebody a piece of your mind? What good does it do to go give them a whooping? It, does, it doesn't prove a thing. But yet, we find ourselves falling into that trap, don't we? We have anger with others. You know, turn over to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22. Matthew chapter 5. In verse 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And who shall say to his brother Rachel shall be in danger of the counsel. And who shall ever, who shall ever, who shall ever say to, and who ever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. How many times do we get upset with another brother or sister in the church? What about elders when they make a decision that we don't happen to agree with? Does it make us angry? Maybe sometimes we don't disagree with it, and we all know that elders are going to make decisions that aren't always popular. But the fact is, are we going to be angry with those people? Are we going to be angry with our brother and sister because of something small? It happens over and over, doesn't it? Well, oh, so-and-so, I, I, I just can't be around them. I'm not going to be around them because they hurt my feelings back in 1967. It happens. We have families that won't speak to each other for decades on end because of something like that. The Bible says if you're going to have a problem with your brother without cause, you better be careful because you're in danger of the judgment. You're in danger of the judgment of God because he said love your brother. He said if your brother offends you and comes to you and says, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, he said you forgive him as many times as he asks. But that's not our, not our uh, mode of operation, is it? I'm going to hold that against you for the rest of your life. We've got to work on anger with others. We have to let things go. James 1 and verse 19 says we need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. 
But many times we're uh, slow to hear, fast to speak, and quick to anger, aren't we? But God said you need to listen first, then react. Put your ears in gear first and your mouth in neutral. James chapter 3, verse 8 said, The tongue is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, is set on fire of hell. You know, many times our tongue accompanies anger, doesn't it? Many things come out of our mouth in anger that we wouldn't say in a normal conversation. And you know, words are like a bullet fired from a gun. You can pull the trigger on that gun, and as soon as you do, you can't get that bullet back. And if there's somebody or something standing in the way of that accidental discharge, they're getting hurt, aren't they? Our angry words are the exact same thing. If we shoot our mouth off in anger, those words can't be taken back. They can't be unheard. And they will always be a wound to somebody. Oh, they can be gotten over, but it's always a wound. Tongue is an unruly evil. Evil. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. First Peter yep, chapter 2 and verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when we be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable of, Christ, of God. For even hereunto where ye, were, where ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. You want to talk about the ultimate control of anger. That was Jesus Christ. He had men question his godly heritage. He had men that said, you aren't God. He had men that slapped him in the face and said, you prophesied before, tell us who smote us. If you're so, if you are the Son of God, tell us who smote you in your face. And when he didn't answer anything, they spit in his face. And they beat him. And they let him off falsely accused. You think he didn't have the right, if anybody has the right to be angry? He was an innocent man. But what did he do? The Bible said, and before Pilate, he, ans- he didn't even answer the, the accusation in so much that he marveled that he could hold his tongue and that he wouldn't answer. So you know what? If brother or sister so-and-so does something to us and kind of hurts our feelings just a little bit, you think we should be able to get along with that? Do a little forgiving and move on? Christ forgave the people that nailed him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But yet, we're so petty, we can't forgive brother and sisters. We need to think about our anger towards others. Because you know what the Bible says? If you're going to be judgmental on other people and you're going to hold grudges and you're going to keep judging that, he said you're going to be judged just the way that you judge others. And I don't know about you, but I need lots of forgiveness. And I don't want him judging me harshly because I need mercy. And I think we all do. It's better to suffer wrongly with our anger than to do something we will regret. What about anger with ourselves? You know, a lot of times we talk to people and we say, well, you know, we want you to come to church with us. We'd like you to come visit with us. 
man, I couldn't go up there. But you, if them people knew what I did in my past, there's no way those people had sat, sat, even sat on the same pew with me. They don't want me there, and God sure enough doesn't want me there. We've heard that. And you know, that's a gr another great lie that Satan tells, that God or other people won't forgive us. Don't go over there. You, you, you remember what you did. You remember what you did back then? You, no, 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 don't go. I want to ask the question, if we are or ever dealt with anger towards ourselves, and I think we all have because we all know what, know what we look like on the inside, and we all know what God sees. Is the Bible true? Is God truthful in what he says? Is Jesus faithful in what he says he will do? And we all shake our heads yes to that question. We all believe that. Luke chapter 9 and verse 62 says, He that puts his hands on the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, I know that's referring to a man that comes there, a person that comes into the church and looks back longingly on sin that they're not worthy of the kingdom. But doesn't that apply to us if we have anger and won't forgive ourselves? We're always looking back into our past going, man, I just, I, you know, I did that back there 10 years ago. I'm so ashamed of that. Should be. God's not looking at it. And so you need to quit looking at it. You need to quit dragging it up. You need to quit looking back from your hands from the plow and plow your rows straight instead of making them crooked looking over your shoulder going back and forth. John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, God is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, do you believe that? We just sat there and said that God's true, that Jesus, is, uh, his words are true, and that God does what he says. Then if he does, believe it and forgive yourself. Forgive yourself, have repentance, and change from that. And be a better person. Don't keep looking back, look forward, because God's not looking back. If, if you've repented and you're a child of his, he's not looking back. You're the only one looking back. And 90% of your brothers and sisters sitting on the pew with you, if they know what you've done, they're not looking back either. And if they are, shame on them. They'll answer for that. Because God doesn't appreciate that. Don't be angry with yourself to the point that it keeps you from God and that it keeps you from being a good person because there's not a person in here that doesn't have something that they're ashamed of and that they would blush to know if it was paraded out in front of this congregation. You're not alone. And God loves you. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He said, I believe that God is just and willing to forgive us and to keep our things that we commit to him. He's willing to forgive us. He said he will, and we can take it to the bank. Psalms 103 and verse 12, one of my favorite verses, he said, Our sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. If God says it, you can take it to the bank. Forgive yourself. Don't be angry with yourself. Spend the time that's, that's required to be angry with yourself and then move on. Because that's what God does. And that's what he wants us to do. But Satan doesn't want us to. Satan wants you to dwell in the pit of misery. 
He doesn't want you to move on. And if he can keep you right there, he's got you right where he wants you because you're too angry with yourself and have too much guilt to move on and be an effective Christian. Don't get caught there. Lastly of all is, is godly anger, and we touched on that a little at the beginning. We can be angry. We, things can happen. Brothers and sisters can do things that hurt our feelings. They can do things that make us angry, and we can be angry with that, but there's a way to handle that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be ye angry and sin not, but let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, if Lyle hurts my feelings by something he says or something he does, 90% of the time he didn't mean it, first of all, to be ugly or to hurt my feelings. More than likely, they were on my shirt sleeve just waiting for somebody to knock them off. But the fact is, I can be angry with Lyle. But instead of me going around and talking about how ugly Lyle had been to me and how evil a person he is, wouldn't it be better if I said, Lyle, what you said the other day hurt my feelings. That really bothered me. And you know what? It's going to hurt him about as deep as it hurt. He is, I thought he hurt me. But you know, that's what Matthew 18 tells us. You've got a problem with your brother. If they've hurt your feelings, go to them. But that takes a little too much effort on our part, doesn't it, a lot of times? Well, I don't want to go and talk to him. Why not? God told you to. Most conflicts can be solved if we'll just communicate with our brothers. And that's how we handle anger in a godly manner. Go to the person and talk to them. Resolve that anger. Don't let the sun go down because that's just like if we don't get a, a wound or something treated and we just let it fester and we let it grow. And pretty soon, it's like Naaman's leprosy, isn't it? It's just consuming us from the inside. And, and guess what? We're so consumed with what Lyle did to me that I'm separated from the church and I'm no longer a useful servant in his kingdom. But if I would have headed it off, everything would have been okay. That's how we deal with anger. You know, Jesus had anger. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12, it talks about Jesus in the temple. He went in and he made a, a cord or a, a whip out of, out of uh, some links of, I can't remember what it is at, at this point, but he makes a scourge out of it. And he goes in there and he turns over the tables of the money changers in the temples. And he said, it is written, my house will be a house of praise, but you've made it a den of thieves. You've, all you have perverted God's word and you're selling these sacrifices when people ought to be able to come here and worship God. And he was angry. And he run them out. But the difference was he was angry for a righteous reason because God's word and God's temple was being profaned by the evil actions of men. Does that mean that God didn't love those men? He died for those men just a few days later. But the difference was he was angry and he still loved them. And I think that goes back to be angry and sin not. Love the person but hate the sin. We have a trouble with that, don't we? And I think that goes right along with our anger. We can be upset, but how do we handle it? Handle it like Jesus did. Go in and say, this is how God wants it, not the way you're doing it. But he still had love for those people, even though he was angry about what was going on. The bottom line, we can stave off a lot of things if we'll just temper it with love. And if we'll temper it with what Jesus' example is and what he wants us to do. Anger is something that we have to keep a control on our entire life. 
Because if we don't, it will consume us, just like anything else. That's all I have this morning. I hope that something I've said, you'll be able to put in your life and be a better person in the days to come. We haven't talked on the first principles, but if there's anybody here that uh, has been taught that and would like to be baptized for the remission of sin and start their walk with Jesus and, and God, we'd, we'd encourage you to do that today. Matter of fact, we tell you, don't wait. Because like I said, God knows what's going to happen. We, don't, we may not make it out those doors. I may not make it off this stage. Now is the time to start your walk with Jesus. If there's somebody here that's been overthrown with the cares of this world, whatever it may be, anger or anything else, we want to pray with you. We want to help you. We love you. And we want to do what we can. If there's one of either class, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.